What's up, everybody? You have found yourself listening to another edition of the Bite Size Breakdown. My name is Micah Hendrick, and a big thank you to Josh and Nate for letting me hop back on the mic to talk about a game that I'm passionate about. Um, uh, let me back up and sort of set the stage here for you. So sort of recently, uh, I had been thinking about the walking simulator genre and kind of how it gets this bad rap. You know, for, for one reason or another, you know, you, you hear that tossed onto a game and it, it just gets dismissed. Um, and I was thinking about that, how that's such a shame because there's so many good walking simulators, uh, quote unquote, that uh, are just really wonderful. Games like Firewatch come to mind. What Remains of Edith Finch and the uh, the game before Edith Finch, actually, that Giant Sparrow produced, The Unfinished Swan, I would highly recommend for anyone that loves What Remains of Edith Finch, go back and play The Unfinished Swan. Um, they really, those two games tie in in a really neat way that was surprising to me once I got to Edith Finch. And, um, but yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a great genre to convey a, a good story, um, even though mechanics are oftentimes stripped down uh, to a bare minimum. Uh, it's, it's, it's a genre that I've found some of my favorite games uh, sitting in this genre. So the game I want to talk about today is a game that wound up, so, so recently, let me back up again, um, I had to sort of hammer down my top 10 list, and I mean my top 10 favorite games of all time, um, for an exercise that I'll let Josh and Nate talk about in the near future, I think. Um, I won't spoil that surprise. But uh, so I needed to get my top 10 list down pat. I got to the end of my list and at number 10 is a game that came out in 2012 called Journey. And Journey is a game developed by that game company, which is a small development team out of Southern California, helmed by Genova Chen, who is a Chinese designer that went to school at USC Southern Cal and I believe once he was finishing up school or around, well, while he was at USC, he developed the game Flow. And uh, sometime during this period of time, it got Sony's attention and they gave them the uh, standard kind of three game deal back then um, that they were giving a lot of indie developers and stuff. So Flow was their first game that they developed. I believe it was either a launch game or a launch window game for the PlayStation 3. And uh, after that, they produced the game Flower, which was a very sort of chill, experimental kind of, it wasn't even really a game. You just kind of controlled flower petals and, and sort of flew around. It was definitely a, a fun experiment. And then finally, they made the most kind of gamey game that they had made so far in Journey. And uh, if you can kind of take yourself back to 2012 and think about the climate of video games at that time, at least from my lens, what I was experiencing was a lot of what I'll call just bro shooters and stuff. Just a lot of, you know, anytime you'd see E3 back then, almost every game had a gun sitting in front of the screen, you know, FPS and or, or something like, you know, Uncharted or Gears or Spec Ops The Line. Uh, nothing against any of these games. They're all great. But it was just an inundation of Call of Duty and Battlefront or Battlefield, I should say, and um, games of that ilk. And so while the what, what I'll call the indie renaissance was sort of underway already, um, probably around 2008 with games like Braid and stuff like that, really kicking that off, um, there was still kind of a, just an inundation of this kind of samesy sort of 
shooters that I was just getting kind of tired of. So when I saw the trailer for Journey, it definitely piqued my interest, and um, it was on my radar from from then on. So when it finally came out, I got it on day one for the PlayStation 3. Um, by the way, this is available for uh, the PS3, the PS4, I believe on Steam and iOS. I don't know about any other platforms than that, but um, it's definitely on PS3 and PS4. So I booted it up. And uh, well, I guess I should sort of set up the game. Um, I, I guess what you're doing in Journey is you are a red cloaked player who you just start off in the desert and you see a mountaintop uh, in the distance off in the horizon. And that is your North Star. That is your compass. You go to that mountain um, at all times. If you're ever lost, just pan the camera around. Where's the mountain? Go that direction. Basically, it's sort of the premise of the game. So you start off. And it, uh, Genova Chen wanted to introduce this unique multiplayer where there's no way to really kind of cheese anyone or to grief anyone. Um, you could, there was very minimalist interaction. So if you would come across another player and you can only come across one at a time, no more, um, there was a chirp you could simply let out by pressing the circle button. And you could hold it for a big chirp or just tap it for a light chirp. And that was it. That was your way of communication. And what it sort of created um, as you went along and you started going through your journey together or solo, um, but, you, but you started to realize how you could sort of, uh, a, a, this bond that you could create with someone when you took away all the voice chat and you took away all the ways in which you could use game mechanics to grief someone. Um, and, you know, the person could come along with you or not. You could just go on without them. It didn't really matter. You, you could potentially meet four, five, six, seven people on your journey. But if you could stick it out with one person, that was really a, a special experience. Um, it would not let you know who you're playing with until the end of the game. Uh, after the credits rolled, it will say you met these players along the way. And sometimes it's just one. Sometimes it's, like I said, four or five. But a neat way to introduce multiplayer back then, especially um, to where it just kind of breeded this environment or created this environment for uh, it just it kind of benefited uh, the, the, the same cause, I guess you're both going in the same direction and not one person is going against you or whatever. So it was just a nice way of introducing that. Um, so I guess what I want to do here is break down what I think are sort of, five phases of the game um what journey is is it's a very um open to interpretation game um i think uh, genova purposefully sort of made it that way um but you can very easily for the christian you can see um spiritual correlations and just it, it, basically what it is it is a metaphor for life essentially it kind of goes through, at least this is how I see it. This is all my interpretation. But you start off and you are in the desert and you don't know where to go, but you do know to go towards the mountain. So you start walking and you will slide down these hills, kind of very skiing-like, like you're sort of skiing it down, just, just sliding down these hills very gracefully as the sand parts between your legs. And you eventually get to a part where you pick up a, a red cloth and it creates a little red scarf around you. 
And um, I guess I'll go ahead and say it here. I, I think w- what I'll sort of use as, a, as an analogy or metaphor, I guess, for what this cloth is, is it's sort of like the fruits of the Spirit for a Christian. And we'll kind of go into a little bit more of that in a little bit. But it basically, it's your fuel, juice, whatever, uh, for lack of a better word, to allow you to jump and to kind of soar and glide and float. It allows you to traverse and get around. So if you come up to a big sand dune, um, you could walk up it really slowly, or if you have some of that cloth, you can use it to soar up to the top of the slope and save you a lot of traversal time. Um, So it's just kind of this currency that you can come across in patches here and there, and it will build your scarf slowly and surely longer and longer um, as you gain that and these little kind of white glyphs throughout the world. I guess the white glyphs are technically what grow your scarf longer, and the red cloth pieces are what fill it up, I should say. But you come across your first red scarf, and uh, you realize you can kind of you know, float around a little bit. I can glide for a little while. And it's sort of like what I'd compare to just childhood. It's sort of this learning phase. They give you these simple controls, and they introduce the very basic mechanics of the game. And the game isn't deep mechanic-wise or control-wise. It's just a very basic um, button layout and just you know, control scheme. Um, but they're teaching you these basics, and you're able to just wander around. It's an open desert. Just kind of explore, get a feel for the controls, and it's very carefree. You know, it does feel um, slightly tutorial-ish, but it, 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 it what sort of correlates to what I feel like is childhood, where you just have no cares. You can do whatever you want. You're just learning how to, how to walk or how to speak or how to socialize, all these things. Um, and then you get to a section in the game that I will kind of say is phase two. You move into phase two, which is your teenager slash young adult years. Um, and where you're at in the game is you have, you're about maybe 30, 45 minutes into it. You've solved a puzzle or two. You've gotten a few glyphs to make your scarf longer, which means you can glide and float for longer distances or to higher heights. And you're starting to become a little bit more of a master of the controls that the game has given you, and you start to cut loose and have a little fun with it. And so they give you this level where um, all I can really describe it is like a Sahara ski slope level to where you're just descending down these sandy slopes, skiing uh, on your feet, and this whimsical music is, is stirred up by, uh, by composer Austin Wintry. carefree, just fun uh, moment to where it's reminiscent to just, you know, being a teenager or a young adult and just, you know, rolling the windows down on the way to like, you know, the beach or a vacation or something like that. And just having that true, I'm on top of the world. I'm having the time of my life and nothing else can stop me. And so you're sliding down uh, with this beautiful music in the background the sun is setting, casting this golden, they, 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 they put this visual filter on this part of the game that is just visually striking um, and one of the most beautiful single images in any, any video game I've ever seen, period. And you slide down, the music picks up, and you keep going through this kind of 
crumbled town, I guess you're in now, and you start descending very, very fast, and then you the slope ends, and you go off into a cavern, and you sink, and the music sinks with you, and you uh, there's no fall damage in this game, but you're just kind of floating, gliding down into this dark, mysterious, unknown cave, and this is when, I believe... <laughs> Uh, any person is met with basically just becoming an adult and hitting like, oh, hey, life isn't all carefree and all about me or my experiences or hitting these kind of emotional highs. There's real hard, uh, you know, hardships to life and it ain't easy and reality sets in. And so you descend into this dark cave and you poof, land on the sand, everything's sandy. And there's some light off in the distance in this cave, and you go forward, and the mood is starkly different from the rest of the game up to this point. Um, I guess I should mention right now, the game can be completed in about two to four hours, depending. So it's so almost sort of a, a you know one-sit kind of completion game. But anyway, you're about an hour in at this point, and you land in this dark cave, and you start going forward. This is when you're really glad that you have a companion, a companion with you, um, you can turn that off or just go solo, like I said, but um, either way, it's a, it's a good experience with a buddy. Um, so you go through, and this is the first time you encounter any sort of opposition or enemies. You come across these enormous guardians, these stone, um, just creatures. I'm not really sure how to describe them. It reminds me of the, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to mess this up, the Twelfth Colossus and Shadow of the Colossus, the one that they have to shoot the... Uh, the uh, air sacs under its belly. But anyway, they kind of float around like that. And you have to avoid them. You have to kind of use some stealth. And if you are seen by one of these guardians, they will attack you. And if they get you, they will essentially tear your scarf in half or deal a, a huge amount of damage to your scarf. And that's really the only thing you care about at this point is how long is my scarf and is it filled up with juice um, with that cloth, that red cloth I was talking about, sort of the fruit of the spirit. Um, so if one gets you, it's really devastating. So you're really apprehensive and trying to sneak around these guardians. And it's just like, wow, this is a, a huge difference from what I just done. I was so carefree. I could go wherever I wanted. And now I'm in this sort of, not regiment, I don't want to say that, but it's like I've got to do this, this stuff and take care of myself and look out for things and watch my back. It's just a totally different mood that I think just kind of mirrors, like I said, um, you know, growing up and, you know, having responsibility and hardships happening, you know, disease and really just sin setting in, you know, in human hearts and that taking shape in various ways that it does in life. So once you uh, go through the cave, um, there are some bright spots throughout the cave, kind of in this dark land. There's an especially poignant moment where the guardians are chasing you. Again, you're sliding kind of skiing down this hill in the cave area and you get three or four guardians on your butt chasing you and you hit this point of sort of safety. You hit the end of the level basically, but as this light comes up and almost like guardians, you can't come past this point and you're, you're safe in the light. And it's, um, you know, as the player, you know, at this point, it's the end of the level. You kind of, at the end of every level, there's a spot to sort of sit and meditate. And um, as the player, you do that, you actually sit down kind of um, Indian style and, and uh, crisscross applesauce and 
uh, just sit there and meditate and you're always given sort of this dream or this uh, vision of what's going to happen in the next segment of the game it's this large white white robed creature that is uh, like you um, that is just sort of showing you what's going to happen and giving you this direction um, sort of prophesying to you you know what's going to happen um, so you you soak that in at the end of every level sort of for what's to come for the next level and you're given these visions where you see this cloth material used as sort of a a fuel, I guess. Um, think Mako energy from Final Fantasy VII, maybe uh, like a fuel for you know ill for industrial and that sort of thing. And you are kind of walking through the remnants of this broken town, this broken um, industrial city. So that's sort of what the guardians are fueled off of. Um, so it's just sort of. You know this this good energy used in a bad way. Um, so anyway, we're moving on to the next uh, phase of the game. I'll, I'll call phase four. It's sort of just eldership or just kind of your senior citizen years, I'll say. And it is the part of the game where you're ascending the mountain, and basically you're you've reached the mountain. You've kind of gone halfway up it, and now it's snowy and it's windy, and um, there's a lot of harsh elements all around you. There's guardians all around you. And it's the hardest point of the game uh, uh, to, to this point. Um, not necessarily difficult player-wise, but just walking every single step is a slow trudge. Because what has happened in this part of the game is that your scarf has been either uh, beaten and battered from the guardians or beaten and battered from the elements. And so really you... Uh, don't have any energy with which to uh, ascend the mountain in quick ways. You're just sort of sludging up, um, dodging enemies, and trying to just do what you can to take one step forward. So as you as as this area sort of culminates, you're just surrounded by snow. The wind is picking up. You, you it gets harder and harder to see. You can still see the light at the top of the mountain, but it's getting dim, and every step is slowing. And eventually, uh, you, the player, falls to their knees, and you collapse right there in the snow, not making it to the top of the mountain. And this is what I believe is the metaphor for death. Um, this is where our human bodies stop. And what happens in the game is it all goes white. And then, all of a sudden, I guess a, a little glimmer happens, and all of a sudden, you, the player, shoot up in this spiral cyclone ascension uh flying like you're uh, like a soaring eagle just and just so you're controlling this part and just shooting through uh space and going higher and higher dodging guardians and basically um moving at light speed compared to the sludge that you were just doing and you kind of pierce through this level of clouds in your in what I can only describe is it's, it's the peak of the mountain, but it's uh, it's like moving in through the gates of heaven. Um, you are now your scarf is fully developed uh, to to what to back to what it was, fully energized, and you are ascending these various levels of the final bit of the mountain with all your sort of cloth friends that you've met along the journey, kind of coming with you. And um, it's this glorious uh, crescendo moment uh, musically and thematically and gameplay-wise. 
to where you shoot up to the top of the mountain and there is a, I guess a crevice at the very peak of the mountain, kind of dividing the peak slightly. And you land in that spot ever so gracefully. Again, no fall damage. You're always gliding and you just puff and walk into the light. That is the, this crevice at the, at the peak of the mountain. And I believe that from what I take, that is you are walking to the, uh, presence of the Lord, um, you know, it is just all white all around you, and you are engulfed in white, and that's the game, game over. Um, so it's really this. What I think is this again. It can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Genova Chen is 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 not a Christian. I don't believe, um, and you know, he's got some very interesting things to say about it. If you want to go look it up, but but I can't help as a Christian but see this as. Just a, a huge. I won't go as far as to say an allegory like Pilgrim's Progress, but some, it's it's a it's a beautiful metaphor for the human life and the human experience, and it gives this glorious moment that, as a Christian, you have to um, you you have to recognize as sort of this like uh, just beautiful moment when we will uh, be in front of the the final judgment and. Um, and because uh, of the blood of uh, Jesus Christ, we will be pardoned and uh, we will be in uh, with God forever in glory. Um, so again, even just sort of the red, um, the red cloak that you don and then if you uh, guess get all the collectibles of the cliffs, you get a white cloak. Even that sort of picture um, has some Christian undertones there that I like. Um, but really, oh goodness, it's just, it was such a, um emotional experience. I remember the first time I played it, and I don't remember what moment it was, but I was with a stranger, and I, I, think, I think maybe I was going down that hill and sort of phase two, the teenager uh, section or whatever, where you're just carefree skiing down. I just kind of teared up, just, you know, like so happy, like just such joy it was like filling my heart in this like simple gameplay moment. Um, but a, really a touching game when you, uh, combine um, the simple controls, the the very solid mechanics, the visuals, art, and then the music um, was just such a treat. Austin Wintry, I believe, got uh, several awards uh, around this, and and the game in general won several Game of the Year awards across various platforms. But I know Austin Wintry especially got a got some special attention for for his work there um so yeah that's all i really had i just wanted to highlight this game i don't think it gets overlooked i think it got it's it's uh it's due back in 2012 like i said it was nominated and won several game of the year awards but uh it's just a game that's near and dear to my heart i've always sort of wanted to talk about and chop up um and it made it onto my top 10 list at number 10 um I think you guys know probably what number one is, but uh, uh, yeah, Journey is a fantastic game from 2012. If you have access to it on PC, PlayStation, or I guess iOS, um, definitely do yourself a favor and check it out. So thanks for hanging out with me for a few minutes. Um, and uh, next time, check back with us where Josh and Nate will be uh, breaking down the benefits of those backlogs that you build up a whole bunch. See you guys later.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Backlog Breakdown. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, The Backlog Book Club, on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is at bbdowncast. Of course, you can also catch Nate and I on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and the GG app. I go by Broccolope, that's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E, and Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash thebacklogbreakdown. Till next time, loggers, you keep beating down those backlogs, and we'll keep breaking down the benefits.